earth, fire, wind, water, heart. With these elements combined, we get today's podcast episode. No, my guest today is not Captain Planet. It is my very own aunt, Marilyn White. As a resource teacher for Valley Oaks Charter, an elected local leader, and a property owner, she has much to share on all the elements of home. Speaking of home, you'll learn a little bit about where I'm from and the community that I grew up in. You'll hear us discuss the role of local officials, where your water comes from, and how to protect your home from fire. Here's a hint, defensible space. Hey there, friends. It's me, Claire. I'm a realtor with over a decade of experience in the ever-evolving Bay Area market. I'm a lover of daily dance parties, matcha green tea, and a dog mom of two sweet doggos. You're listening to The Truth Behind Just Sold, where we're diving in deep with real people and real talk. It's time to draw back the curtain on all things real estate. So the impetus for this interview was a conversation that we were having a couple weeks ago when we were sitting in your fabulous backyard and somehow we got on the topic of why some houses burn in a fire and others don't. And I'm really excited to get into that specifically and the topic of being like fire prepared. But I, before we do that, I kind of wanted to start with your position on the water board. So can you tell me like what your official title is and how you decided to get involved with that particular organization? Yes. So um, in 2014, some things happened in our community and it opened my eyes to local politics. So a large uh, piece of property was purchased in the community for close to a million dollars and it was done in closed session. And at that time, I mean, I kind of could have faked the definition of closed session, but I really was not very educated as far as local government and things like that. So I was mad and I went to a couple meetings and they essentially kind of just patted me on the head and said, there, there, just sit down. We got this. And that made me even matter. <laughs> and so I decided to run and I got elected. So it's, um, all over California in little tiny cities and in big cities, you have what's called local government. So you have uh, mayors, you have board of directors, um, general managers. Well, we are in unincorporated county, so we're not a city. So we, we have what's called a special district, but we still have a set of government rules that we have to follow. Um, so it is a five person board um, we have a, we hire a general manager and there's a staff and we, we don't really oversee the day-to-day business of the water district. We're more overseers of policy and direction of where our community is going with our community services district. So we do, we are a water delivery um, and we maintain the infrastructure, uh, but there's a lot of other things that go into, as you know, um, growing with a community, you know, and those yeah. kind of things. So um, that's how I got involved with the Golden Hills CSD. And I ran again because the first four years were a blur. And I think a lot of the times I was faking it because I was just, it's a big learning curve to know government policies and those kind of things. So um, the second term has been more fun as far as, um, just new topics and new things to learn about um, and just 
broaden. We always talk about in our board meetings, um, open up the aperture, you know, broaden your lens. What else is happening in our community other than water? Are we just a water district or are we more? And we're trying to be more responsibly. So mm -hmm. some of the things um, that concern us in our area are, are wildfire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, you know, no secret that our family has a history of being super involved locally in the Tehachapi community and then before that in Burbank. Um, yeah. How has being involved yourself either confirmed or maybe changed your views of the importance of local politics? Um, well, the, my first takeaway is if I had a magic wand and somebody said, do something positive with it, it would be make everybody have a turn in some form of government. Because once you do that, you realize um, we have some really good systems in place that are kind of like a catch-all system that like stop us from all from being evil, essentially. <laughs> yeah. So like simple rules like Robert's Rules of Order or the Brown Act, like you, it, you can't have more than two board members meeting without it being an agenda-sized public meeting. Simple little things like that. If people were more aware of it, I think they'd feel like they had more of a voice in politics on any level. Um, so that's been really fun to learn about. And it, and it comes across in a lot of things. I mean, if you want to go to national politics or you hear somebody talk about a problem and you're like, oh, there's a government agency involved. And they're like, yeah. And I go, well, their hands are probably tied on a lot of things. And if you do a little bit of digging, you'll probably understand the process of why they're doing things the way they're doing. So um, that's been really cool to be stretched that way. Um, my, I mean, we do come from a family of not just, I wouldn't call us doers. It's more like if we see something and it's not happening, we don't look far away for having somebody else do something about it. We're just like, oh, well, we could do that. We could make that or, um, and that's, uh, I, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, it's, um, it's gonna sound really silly, but um, I feel very patriotic. So I always, um, you know, you people say a lot of things, but when you put actions behind it, so to me, um, you know, oh, when I say the Pledge of Allegiance when I'm in a board meeting, it's like super like, and justice for all. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's it, every time. I mean, it's almost, it's been like almost eight years and it still gets me what a privilege it is and what how there's these systems in place, if we just understand them, it would be really cool. Yeah. I know that whenever Scott and I are making a trip down to Tehachapi to come visit, we are always joking in the car about there's like, you know, there's going to be a conversation about water rights. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so far we've been spot on, but jokes aside, I know that it's actually a really important topic, not just for your area, but all of California. And, um, are there specific things from this position that you hold that you wish more people in the community knew about? And if so, what are they? Um, oh, I, 
I, yeah, one big takeaway is I have taken for granted my whole life, and most people do, that, oh, I want to drink water, and I go into my kitchen, and I turn on my tap, and I fill my glass, and I drink it, and I walk away. And I don't give a thought to how did that water get to my house. Mm-hmm. I don't give a thought to the infrastructure that it takes to do that, the maintenance required to do that, or how long ago was it put in? And is my is tech, is the system updated and running efficiently? Because that's my tax dollars that pay for it, as well as me purchasing water. So that that's a big takeaway of with water is that everybody should know where their water comes from. And as public agencies, you're not allowed to, there's rules of how you price things. Mm-hmm. So when people always say, oh, my water's so expensive and everything like that, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have a system in place where people are keeping an eye on that kind of thing. If you think your water is expensive, it's because you have this antique delivery system that they're trying to maintain and get you water. So knowing, knowing where your water come from and the quality of your water, um, most people don't, don't know. I mean, we're yeah. groundwater. And that's really rather unheard of in California anywhere. Pretty much everybody, I mean, it's not un, it's not common to have a whole basin on groundwater anymore. Yeah. Um, so there's big troubles with water in all states. And in some states, they have too much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a resource that we all need. And it's it's amazing how they move it around. Yeah. So yeah. that's been really cool to learn about that. And if people would just know that public agencies can't get rich off of raising your water rates. We have to show that it costs that much to deliver water. Um, They've had court cases where you can't even give people tiers of water payments anymore unless you can prove that tier costs more money for those people and the price is justified. Hmm. So there's there's some good systems in place. It's just we need to understand them. Right. It's about educating ourselves so that we know where the price increase or whatever that is is coming from versus just um Yeah. And <laughs> and a lot of times like if you ask anybody on the street right now, they'd say, Hey, what do you think about you know the price of gas? And they'd be like, Oh my gosh, it's really expensive. I remember when it was this much money. And it's like, well, do you remember when houses were cheaper? Do you remember when cars were cheaper? Do you remember when your food was cheaper? Flying was cheaper, traveling, medicine, everything. And they're like, well, yeah, you know, but things cost more nowadays. And I'm like, and so does water and things like that. But people don't think about their public utilities that way. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so you touched on something uh, before about, you know, the living in a small community. And I think that as we start to talk a little bit more about the fire aspect of this, um, I know that I spend a lot of my life explaining what Tehachapi is. Like, <laughs> it's a mountain town and it's really quite small. Yeah. And um, I, you mentioned last time we were together that Tehachapi is only one square mile. And I didn't know that, you know, growing up there. The city of Tehachapi is. But the outlying area that makes up Tehachapi, I mean, I think we're over 40,000 people now. Mm -hmm. 
and most of those are not incorporated cities. And now, like from a terrain perspective, uh, Tehachapi is mountain, high desert, um, and very dry. So for those who don't know, like, can you talk a little bit more about like the housing and how houses are situated and how that kind of ties into the idea of being fire prepared? Yeah. And so, and this is going to apply to no matter where you live. So, um, You think about how your town is laid out or where you live, and we don't give a lot of thought Mm -hmm. to how did it come to be. Um, Tehachapi's history was back in the 60s, um, like a land development company was like, hey, we can sell some homes up here. And so they divvied it all up into lots um, and kind of created streets and boundaries and those kind of things. From the standpoint of we want to sell lots, Mm -hmm. we're not the people who are going to be living here. So, and I think that's in hindsight now looking at a lot of communities, that's why you see things develop the way they're developed. It's not like, oh, we're going to build a community and how can we do this smart? It's like, well, let's just chop it up. This is, we're going to make money. We're going to do this. It makes sense to put a street here and we put the lots here, but is that, you know, fast forward 60 years, is that serving the community well now? So we got all chopped up into our lots and a lot of them are a half acre which everybody sounds says that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a lot to yeah. take care of a half acre. Um, and, and so we have all these half acres and then we're in a valley and we're up against one side of the, the West side of the mountain range. And so there's all these little kind of like your canyons that come down. And so most of our homes, the backyards are down into these, like I say creeks, but there are, is there is, there isn't any water. So they're like these dry gullies where there's um, oak trees, uh, sage, scrub, which is you know, really quite similar kind of to some of the terrain so, up here where I'm at, like um, the Los Altos Hills, Saratoga, parts of Los Gatos, and even moving up yes. the peninsula. Just looking when I drive up to see you coming through Gilroy, that whole area, my eyes are open now. I mean, just a very similar landscape. Um, ours is just a little bit higher elevation and we don't get the, right. We don't get as much moisture as you do. Well, um, and even uh, this we've year, really gotten rather know, dry. Here. Uh, I can't remember the last time that it rained and I hike a lot and I haven't seen very much water in any of the places that, uh, I frequent. So, you know, I think that that's definitely a concern for a lot of people right now is, you know, where it's very dry. It's very dry all over the state. It, it is. And then couple that with, um, I don't want to get into the topic of climate sure. warming or anything yeah, like that. Exactly. That's a whole other podcast. But um, just, I mean, we, mm-hmm. Tatchby is known for its wind, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, I swear it's windier than ever. I mean, it's just so wind dry conditions and then a lot of fuel you know like with trees and chaparral that have that hasn't been burned because that's how nature takes care of that um it just kind of sets us up to be you know a fire danger and what kind of really started me down this path was i watched the news like everybody else and i saw these communities that were burning and like just blown away at 
oh my gosh, mm -hmm. how, how can this be happening? How can, don't we have fire engines? Don't we have helicopters? Don't we have yeah. people on this? I mean, I was really naive. Um, but what really struck me was this, it could happen anywhere. And that was my, my aha moment was like, wow, I'm watching the news and I'm watching something happen. And then we tend to just naturally protect our reality by saying, oh, well, that's there. It happened over there or to those people. And I'm really mm -hmm. sorry it happened, but it doesn't affect me. But if you really open your eyes and look around, a lot of these problems that you see happening elsewhere could happen yeah. in your backyard in an instant. Mm -hmm. the, the conditions are the same all over. So that just really... It gets me thinking about our community all the time. We don't have a lot of roads in and out mm -hmm. of our community if we had to evacuate for whatever reason. Um, we have in our town, um, there's a very historic train track that is not too far from Tatchby and it's called the Tatchby Loop. Um, so we have massive amount of Union Pacific train traffic coming through Tatchby. And if you really want to stay up at night and like blow your mind is look up what some wow. things they're transporting through towns, some really toxic, yeah. hazardous stuff. So like I say, just towns mm -hmm. are, are like that all yeah, over. So in your sort of aha moment of discovering like this could happen anywhere, it sounds like that took you down a path of like, what can I do as an individual to be prepared? Um, so what are some of those things? Yes. What did you find? And what are you, what have you been doing at your own home? Um, so I just did a, a really easy, like Google search on YouTube, like, mm -hmm. you know, fire preparedness and up came these videos of, um, how to keep your house from burning down in a wildfire. I mean, just, just really simple questions got me the answers that I wanted. Um, I think the number one thing that has been impressed upon me through all the information that I've, and by the way, everybody's local fire department, right? They don't want your house to burn down and they have all sorts of educational material on their websites and everything like that, telling you exactly what to do for your area. It's all right there. So the biggest thing I think is defensible space. So fires mm -hmm. need fuel to burn. Oh, and if they don't have fuel to burn, they die out. Um, so if you can clear around your house, um, like where we live, a lot of people, we still burn wood. You know, we have wood fireplaces and things like that. Don't yeah, stack your wood next to your fire. house. Yeah. Yes. So, and I think about a lot of things from that, that visual. Am I leaving something around my house that is kindling? So back to the winds, if a fire was someplace else and we learned from the Santa Barbara and the Ventura fires, just how far embers can blow and start a fire. Um, do I have piles of kindling around ready to start a fire? Um, so defensible space. So walk around the perimeter of your house and say, what is, what is leaning up against my house? Do I have you know, a wooden trellis with an old dead plant on it leaning there. Did, did I stack my scrap wood? I'm not getting rid of wood right now because it's so expensive. I mean, just walk around your place. Even if you live in an apartment building or anything like that, what is your defensible space? And when I first did that, I was really yeah. overwhelmed because I have a half acre. I mean, and they, they're, 
and your fire department will tell you, you know, you should have, you know, a hundred feet or, you know, this many yards of clear defensible space. And so what I did was I was like, how do you eat an elephant? And it's one bite at a time. I thought, okay, I'm just going to take the first 10 feet around my house. And so I started just really mm -hmm. slow, like raking up a pile of leaves. Um, but don't, when you're looking at your defensible space, make sure you look up. Do you have rain gutters? What's in your rain gutters? Because if you think about it, leaves and then they're dry and then they're in a nice little metal container that's heated by the sun. So they're super dry and just waiting for an ember. Do you have leaves piled up and stuck in the eaves of your, you know, if you have a pitch in your roof or underneath like that, do you have leaves there? Are there trees that are hanging over your roof? Um, you know, and trees are a good thing, right. but not if it has a lot of dead wood in it. Mm -hmm. So the defensible space mm -hmm. um, is a biggie. And then um, if you have more time, you can do things like, okay, well, if a fire was blowing in, you know, where's the rest of the fuel? What would catch fire? What would come towards my house? So I, I have a deck around my house. And I went down the rabbit hole of embers blow underneath decks. And usually there's, there's kindling or the leaves underneath the deck that can start a fire. So now I'm starting to slowly, it doesn't happen overnight because of just time and money. I'm enclosing my deck on the, the sides that I feel like would be the most uh, dangerous if there was mm -hmm. high winds, like Santa Ana winds coming in. Um, and then I think another thing that people should look at is what type of vegetation are you putting around your house? Because mm -hmm. there's some that's super flammable. And it's just, you can walk in any nursery. And now that I know this, I'm going, oh my gosh, why would they huh. be selling that plant? You know, it's super flammable. Uh, and I see them all over the place. So, you know, juniper bushes, you see those everywhere. Those are super flammable. They have an oil in them and then their little tiny needles get dried up and make these yeah. nice piles of kindling underneath. I hadn't underneath. thought about plants being uh, a part of a, uh, you know, a problem per se, but it really does make sense when you talk about the type of leaves and how they dry and, you know, what, what a plant really can become if you don't take care of it or all of those other pieces. Yeah. And, and you might have a beautiful green plant during the spring and summertime, but then maybe it's a deciduous, you know, sleepy plant and it's very dry and over the winter time, which You'd be surprised. I mean, fires happen all year mm -hmm. round, but a lot of them happen in the fall and winter, you know? So defensible space, you know, what do you have laying around? Take away the fuel. I'm interrupting this episode to ask a quick question. Are you following us on Instagram? No? I didn't think so. Head on over there, search Claire Alexander Realty, and click follow. Seriously, we'll wait. That way you'll see all of our new real estate mindset content, as well as stay up to date on our newest podcast episodes. The thing that I'm on right now is drive all over the state of California and everybody has the same cedar wooden privacy fencing. Yeah. Okay. You can buy them at Home Depot. They come in camels mm -hmm. and it's super quick and easy to put up, put up this privacy fencing. Um, but if those are attached to your house, again, you have that thing attaching to your house that becomes kindling and it allows that fire to light and grow and, and flame up. 
and then it's it's into your house right um the other so another video that i found was it was really sad to go look at videos of these major fires that we've had in california um and one of them that i looked at um all devastation everywhere. I mean, nothing was spared. And then all of a sudden there's one house perfectly intact, not burned. Mm -hmm. And so these people did a YouTube video on why their house didn't burn. And the lengths that these people went to, to protect their home was crazy, but it worked. I mean, they, they made sure on all the vents that came out of their roof space or attic all had a, they took them all down and they put up a really fine, wire mesh so embers couldn't blow in through their vents and into their attic mm -hmm. they um they had rock like landscaping rock like the first six feet up to their house and then they didn't landscape until after that six feet wow um they made sure they bought a uh, patio furniture that was non-flammable mm -hmm. and then when they evacuated for the fire they brought it all inside there wasn't a cushion there was nothing to catch fire on the outside of their house yeah. Um, and like I say, their defensible space, it worked and their place didn't burn. So they showed a picture of them sitting out on their deck patio area overlooking this gorgeous view of all these homes that burned down. It's just really, yeah. really scary. Yeah. And to know that it can happen in an instant and there's no, there's no time in the moment to do any of those things. So okay, really so doing it ahead of time has to be the plan right so that's that's the other thing that probably scared me the most that helped me go down this rabbit path um in a community not too far away from us called uh, kernville lake isabella they had a fire called the erskine fire and it came through so fast like mm -hmm. it, the firemen who fight fires for a living were just like, I've never seen fire do this before. There was, um, and that fire really showed a lot of weaknesses. One, it's um, a low income area, really right. low income area. And people are very spread out, a lot of vegetation, a lot of fuel, but a lot of the people were older or elderly and, and didn't have like up-to-date technology communication. They weren't on the apps that were alerting them to things. And then the cell towers were some of the first things to burn down. They actually had to drive and yell at people, get out of your house. It was crazy. Wow. And so that one, and then trying to evacuate people when you're in a small sleepy community with not a lot of roads and there's panic and you don't have a plan. Um, I'm surprised more people didn't die in that fire. Yeah, it was it was a really scary fire and the winds were crazy. And the firemen today, they'll still say never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. So we had another fire in California, um, the Paradise Fire, right. which is up more by you. Mm -hmm. um, and that one, you know, the downed wire from are you PG&E up there or SC? Yeah, PG&E. Mm -hmm. um, that's a hard thing. We have an, an aging infrastructure, just like we talk about with water. It's the same thing with our power poles and lines and utilities for electricity. Mm -hmm. um, and it is much cheaper to run electrical lines overhead than it is underground. So even though we want to blame PG&E and SCE for all those things, we're all the customers that chose the cheaper route and wanted our wires run 
above ground. Sure, um, sure. But that fire, um, again, a ton of fuel, burning uphill super quick. And it came to a community that developed, it's an interesting, you should look into that, the, the actual growth of the city didn't really plan for an evacuation. Mm-hmm. And so the people were stuck. Mm-hmm. One road in, one road out. They, the fire trucks couldn't get around and a lot of little things compounded. Um, and that was just a horrific fire. Right. So anybody listening to this, if you think it can't happen to you, like if you live in the middle of a city or whatever, oh, that's not going to happen to me. Fire can happen anywhere. Yeah. Have a, have a, have the, I thought about this before the podcast today. There's so many things you can do prior to an event happening around you, prior to the fire. Like, mm-hmm. do the best you can. Okay. Right. But then there's a whole other set of things to, if there is a fire actually happening, what you should do. And the number mm-hmm. one thing is get out. Don't yeah. be people that the firefighters have to do their job around. You know, so there's there's two parts of being fire prepared. It's like, is your property prepared the best you can? Um, and when I say the best you can, I, I recently paid to have a, an arborist come in and trim up all my oak trees. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't cheap. Right. Oh, holy cow, not cheap. Like yeah. thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, and I... And I get it. I can see why people don't do that. Right. Who has an extra three or $4,000 laying around to trim trees? It's just not yeah. a common and thing. And that brings, and that brings up an idea about, you know, equity and like, are we providing the same level of service to certain neighborhoods as other neighborhoods? Oh. And like, you know, if, if a lower income neighborhood experiences a fire, are they more likely to be completely devastated from that than a community that has more wealth and maybe is more fire prepared because they have the means to take care of themselves in that way? Um, I think if you look back at history, we answered that question and that's a resounding yes. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. um, and then we touched on this, you know, getting ready to do this podcast and you have the whole equation of, do you own your home versus do you rent? Right. So, and I've thought a lot about that lately. Oh my gosh, you've just been in my head. It's been awesome. I can't wait to catch you up on a bunch of other things. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so if you're, if you're renting a home, um, are you going to pay three or $4,000 to have the trees made fire prepared? That's something you can force your landlord to do. No, they're just going to say, get out next renter. Right. You know, so, um, and that, I'm starting to be more aware of in my, our community is we do have a lot of homes that are rentals and the owners do not live in this community. Mm-hmm. And there's such a high demand right now of people looking for rentals um, that I could see how somebody would say, no, I'm not going to do it. Can't make me. You know, well, and when you're not living in a community and you're just a homeowner who rents out a space, you're not connected to the why and the reasons that it's important to be prepared. You're just paying attention to more likely the fact that someone is paying their rent and you're getting your income and you can take care of it that way. Um, It's less, 
motivational for you as mm -hmm. as the owner to invest in those things because you have insurance. Yes. But that brings up another question, um, and that is, I've heard, and I don't know whether you've experienced this or not, or um, anybody that you know in the Tehachapi community, but fire insurance is getting harder and harder to come by, mm -hmm. and there are companies that are just dropping people. Yep. Right up the street from me. Probably if I was to sell my home who, okay, let's go back though. If you're that magic person that can come in and buy a house with cash, none of this affects you. Right. It's, it's if you're, if you have to get a loan and mortgage and everything like that, I mean, that's your area of expertise. You know that the loan company can say, I need this insurance, this, this, and this, mm -hmm. um, or we're not going to give you a loan on this house because we don't like the fact that there's a crack in the cement on the back porch. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so recently because of the, I think there's a couple things going on. The paradise fire was huge because of the lawsuit that came up with that. Um, mm -hmm. So um, now PG&E is like shutting their, you know, electricity off and everything like that. Um, so I think the insurance companies are now are like, we have to do these huge payouts to people who lost their homes. Right. Um, I don't want to insure people who live where they interface with, you know, wildfire zones anymore. So um, I, just right up the street from my house, um, somebody was selling house and some friends of mine were going to buy it. And it was went into escrow and everything until they got to, you know, insurance and their insurance company wasn't going to pick it up and they had to pay this extra rider on it that was i mean it priced them out of getting the house yeah so it's 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 pretty crazy mm -hmm. yeah so definitely and so and everybody says well why do you have to pay extra fire insurance i have a fire a fire hydrant on my property mm -hmm. but i'm still in an area that's zoned I forget what they call it, but I have some label on where I live and I have to pay extra fire insurance. Right. And then we don't, the other thing that happens with insurance is they always want to know how close are you to a fire station? Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a question that you always get. And of course, the closer you are, the better it's going to be. We don't have a permanent fire station in Golden Hills where I live. We have yeah. a lovely, we have a great substation. We have a great crew of overtime firemen that just love our community and they kill it. They're really good at their job. But because the label is not a permanent fire station, we have to pay extra. And that's something that I think a lot of people who are interested in purchasing a home don't recognize before they get into contracts. So then they're in this position after the fact faced with a, a large bill that they didn't know. And like you yeah. said, it can price them out of a property and cause a transaction to fall through when yeah. really, you know, that's something that should be known up front when you start looking in an area. So you brought up a good point. And that's another thing that I've learned from doing this board position. Um, we tend to look at a home and say, oh my gosh, I love that home. Look at the windows. The color's great. Look at that tree. That view is awesome. I so want to live here. I can see uh -huh. myself living here. There are so many other things we should be looking at. Yes. You know, yes. like, you know, and we look at things like schools and parks, but I mean, you should look at like, you know, water. Are you septic or sewer? You know, mm -hmm. what is the fire danger? What is the insurance? 
Um, mm -hmm. So many things. Well, and you know, we have these reports called natural hazard disclosures. And I know from personal experience in, in going through those with clients, there's a lot of misunderstanding surrounding what is actually in that report and why it matters. Like, mm -hmm. why do we need to look at that and how could it possibly affect you down the line? Are you in a flood zone? Are you in a fire zone? Are you in an earthquake zone? And, you know, in California, we're all of those we're things, all of those. right? Um, but really understanding the implications of those mm -hmm. before you're just like, it's a great, beautiful countertop and I'm, I love it. I, you know, oh, yeah. I can see myself drinking coffee out on the deck. Yeah. Those things are important too, but having all the pieces of information are really yeah. what are going to set you up for success. So I hear this all the time where I live, but we didn't know. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm like, well, then you didn't have a very good realtor. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to tell you or you didn't do your homework because we have people all the time that call the CSD and they say, um, my toilets aren't flushing well and people are telling me that I need to have my septic tank pump. I don't know where it is. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, there's ways to help you find it and everything like that. And then they're all covered over and they don't even have like access lids and things like that. Right. And so that's a big, where we live, mm -hmm. you, you better be aware of how to take care of a sewer system if you own a house or a septic system, if you have a house on septic, because now they have new county codes that if your septic system fails, you can't just replace it. It has to be re-engineered re mm. for the county. So you're looking at 10, 15, $20,000. Right. Um, and you can't live in your home if you can't flush toilets. And that's especially important for people who are moving into more rural areas. I know that we've seen because of COVID, a lot of people moving out of cities and moving into what you were talking about Where earlier. We live. Yeah, these <laughs> bedroom communities, up. right? They're coming to Tehachapi. They're coming to other small towns um, because they're looking for more space. Or, Affordability. You know, they're, they're looking to afford a home, right? Yeah. Like where I live, that's not, you know. It's night and day, yeah. price-wise. But really, what what ends up happening is without understanding those parts of homeownership before they get there, they're just assuming that it's like living in a city where you're just connected yeah. to the city. And that's so, not the case. So, and, so it has further ramifications. Mm -hmm. So right now in the community that we live in, um, our school district did the best job they possibly could dealing with COVID. Mm -hmm. But they had some things working against them that were out of their control. So one of them was the, the topography of the land and where everybody lives and where the schools are located, which were predetermined a long time ago. Right. So when people move here, they go, well, what do you mean the bus doesn't come to my house for my kid to go to school? I work. Somebody needs to pick up my kid. Mm -hmm. And so and while I feel for those people, and I know that's a challenge, you know, childcare and everything like that, now we have a school system that's been burdened with transportation. And is that really a school's main job? You know, but it's part of it. So with COVID, the numbers of kids that could be on a bus was reduced. Mm -hmm. Well, our turnaround time for our bus trips in some places is over an hour. Right. So how do you start everybody at school at the same time if you can't get everybody there at the same time? 
Right, so right. when people move into these communities, there's so there's so many things to think about. And I've been seeing on Facebook a lot more lately, which I'm really glad to see. People will throw out, we have something called to hatch be ask. And mm-hmm. um, people will come on and they'll say, hey, we're, you know, a family of four. We're le- we want to leave Orange County and we want to move to your area. What can you tell me about the area? Yeah. And so many people are negative and whatever. But I mean, a lot of people pipe in and say, oh, you know, live in this, this area is great, but it's a long drive for school. The buses don't, I mean, so they do find out some information, but oh boy, mm-hmm. if I had to buy a piece of property, uh, I would do my research on realtors. I'd want somebody very honest that's going to point out very logically all the pros and cons and then help me figure out how that fits into my vision of my investment. Right, right. Uh, And that's exactly what it is. I think that uh, oftentimes when people are buying a home, whether it's in a neighborhood that they know or a neighborhood that they don't know, they they get caught up in the idea of what is the physical space mm -hmm. instead of how does my life fit into this particular area, neighborhood, community, how am I going to get back and forth to uh, the grocery store, Uh, getting my kids to and from school? How is insurance work? Am I on septic? Am I on city water? Like those are all just as important things to ask. we We have really silly ones that I think is quite obvious, but to other people, it's not. People will move to Tatchby and they'll go, oh my gosh, there's nothing to do here. And I'm like, <laughs> that wasn't apparently obvious when you drove into town. Um, or they'll say, oh my gosh, it's so dark at night. I want streets, street lights and sidewalks. And it's just like, they're not here. And if you expect a tax base now to come in and put that, it, it isn't going to happen. Right. And then people are like, you know, well, why do we have to drive so far to the grocery store? I don't want to drive an hour to Bakersfield to go shopping. And it's yeah. just like, wow. Mm-hmm. miss something when you move here yeah so but and that if, can happen anywhere right like that can yes. happen in any community whether or not it's a you know moving into a downtown area like where I live that comes with its own set of challenges the types of um, you know people that are moving around through my neighborhood and yeah. I think that it's really about no matter what doing your homework on yes. where it is that you're going to purchase whether that's rural or city yeah and and putting it all together. So for, I'm going to, this is the logic in my head. So I live in a place that's rural, mm-hmm. um, very affordable. I've got a great deal on a home. I am mm-hmm. a homeowner because of where I chose to purchase a home. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing to do. It's dark. There's not a lot of amenities. We don't, I mean, we barely have stop signs. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that works for me. But I mean, knowing there's got to be some give and take. So when people move to an area and they say, oh my gosh, you know, I don't like the lights. They're too bright shining through my window at night. It's like, well, you move next door to a McDonald's. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. But just every, any place anybody's going to move, just be a little more wide eyed about, you know, what, what could happen if I live here, what good things could happen. And also, like I say, back to fire preparedness in my, in a dangerous area. So mm-hmm. after we talked a couple of weeks ago, I thought about something um, mm-hmm. and I wanted, cause I have to go to actually to a board meeting here in about 10 minutes. Oh, great. Um, I just have to thank you. You've really helped me 
get out of the me and into the we. So mm-hmm. even though I'm, I've lived here a long time and I love my community and everything like that, um, I am trying to look at this more as a community. And it's not just me on my street and my couple neighbors minding my own business, doing my own thing. It's what are we doing collectively together? Right. Um, and so our fire department, we're trying to partner with them like, hey, can you help us figure out, are there some areas in our community from your lens of a fireman that you think is more of a dangerous burn area? Mm-hmm. And then we're hoping that they're going to be able to do that for So once they identify that, we then want to go in and say, hey, you know, who needs help? Are yeah. there elderly people in there or people who can't afford to trim their trees? And how can we help as a community? Because right. if if a mile away, if a fire doesn't get started, that helps me. Right. Um, so I'm excited. I'm kind of excited about these new ideas mm-hmm. that are going through my head. And I got to tell you, it's even made me start thinking differently about the green space in our area. Yeah. Um, and how I was really resistant to the more traditional parks, like with green lawns and parking and everything like that. I'm all just a natural trail kind of girl. Um, but I've kind of drawn back a little bit and looked at it from the whole community and, you know, parks and communities with playgrounds and, you know, more traditional things. That's mm-hmm. good for everybody. Yeah. Um, so when I, when I fire prepare my house, mm-hmm. now I feel more, again, patriotic. I'm going to go back to that word because it's not just about me. It's mm-hmm. about the people who live around me. Yeah. Um, and no matter whether they're an owner or a renter, I just wouldn't want, I mean, fire is a devastating thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to do everything I can to help that not happen. Yeah. Uh, And I really think it comes full circle in the sense that, you know, we started out talking about how getting involved in your community can shift your perspective mm -hmm. and can help you better understand not just your own needs, but the needs of everyone around you. And when you start to step into those leadership roles, you start to understand at a deeper level what it means to help lift everyone up. Yes, it's, um, and as hard as that seems, sometimes it's a really cool space to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm really excited. In fact, at my last board meeting, I was one of the last holdouts. It's not that I'm against parks, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just you know, they cost money. Mm-hmm. And is watering a large green space, is that the best use of our water resources? I mean, I'm just, I'm kind of down that pathway. Right. Um, the last board meeting, I was like, total about face. And I'm like, I love it. And I'm on board. And you could have heard a pin drop. People are like, <laughs> you hit yeah. your head? What happened? Uh, <laughs> so, and I was laughing inside my head going, oh, wait, till I tell Claire this. <laughs> so, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, but yeah, it's just if we all did a little bit more, just a little bit more, mm-hmm. it helps yourself and it helps your neighbors and then that grows like a throwing a pebble in a pond yeah you know, I, hope, I hope I mean I'm just worried today there's a it's really dry out and there's really high winds and mm-hmm. it's just it's a scary time to be in a place where fire is a danger right so well 
I think that we learned a lot about defensible space, which is awesome. And I know that um, uh, there are a lot of simple things that people can do right away to, to yeah. just take a look, take a little bit at a time, bite-sized pieces. Just and, little pieces. Um, yeah. yeah. And then if you master that, get into earthquakes and all things. <laughs> yeah. There's, it's, there's just it, lots of little things we can do. Mm -hmm. So, Well, yeah. thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I know that we've had this conversation outside of uh -huh. the digital space, but um, it's really fun to be able to share this with other people. And I know that it's going to be valuable information for um, anyone who is listening. So, well, And like I say, there's so much information out there at your fingertips. Mm hmm you know, yeah, just start a little bit and see what you can do. Awesome. So, well, okay. I better let you get to that board meeting. <laughs> I know. I love it now. <laughs> now. Uh, so. All right. Okay, well, well, thanks, um, thank you. And we'll talk soon. Okay. We will see you right. in a couple days. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Right. Bye. Hey everyone. Fire season is upon us. And whether you're a homeowner or a renter, there are many things you can do to protect your home. Check out the resource guide in our show notes for more on how you can protect your home from fire. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Truth Behind Just Sold.